episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and I have on the show with me regular contributor, Emily Kornheiser. Hey, Emily. Good morning, Olga. And also Emily Magus-Russell, who is a Brattleboro resident a mother, a therapist, an activist, and a dancer, which I just love that combination. For folks who don't know her, she is a licensed clinical social worker and current operator of With Great Heart, which is a psychotherapy and consulting practice you can find at wgreatheart.com. Sorry, I stumbled on that. And she specializes in somatic-based trauma therapy and explorations of gender and sexuality. Emily Magus-Russell, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And I want to quickly start this show with a quick applause because it is Emily's, Emily Magus-Russell, who we'll be calling EMR for the purpose of this show, is, it's her birthday. So I want everyone to applaud Emily for her birthday. Yay, happy birthday. Thank you for spending the morning with us. Yes, happy to. (laughs) So, The reason we have EMR on the show today is because it is 2020 and we are in a pandemic and next week is a general uh, presidential election and everybody is feeling feels and everyone is bringing into 2020 all the emotions and the stress and the experiences that existed before 2020 and have not gone away despite the fact it is 2020. So we just wanted to dive in with EMR and, and kind of talk about what is happening right now and how people are feeling and, and if she has any thoughts on sort of how to weather some of these these emotional storms. So again, EMR, thank you for, for being there. Um, just to, to start off with that, what are... As someone who sits in holds space for people in times like this, what what are you kind of feeling and experiencing in this moment? Great question. Thank you. Um, I th- I'm definitely you know experiencing I think similarly what everybody else is experiencing, which. Um, in a lot of ways, feels like a real roller coaster of emotions. Um, and, you know, I feel like for me, this year has been um, one of more than any other year in my life, um, to some degree, especially with the collective energy, one of really sitting with the unknown, which is not something I really love to do. It's not really, um, it's not a super comfortable place for my nervous system or my psyche to be. Um, And so I feel like there has been a lot of grief for me this year. Um, And one of the things that um, I think is really important is that people have gone through a lot of loss, you know, and, and loss is I think a defining feature of this year and the um a normal response to loss is grief there's obviously um large and unprecedented loss of life due to this pandemic and people have lost a lot and um 
you know, we have a, a habit in this culture of bringing hierarchical thinking into emotions. Um, and yet I think it's really important and helpful to leave the sort of hierarchical thinking and the either or comparing mind outside of the emotional realm and recognize that a loss is a loss is a loss. And, um, you know, I think because of the bigness of this loss energy this year, um, I think it's been really, I've been really focusing on um, making, like making really deep contact with myself. And, and I can say more about that as well as we talk, but um, yeah, so grief has been a major, um, a major energy and a major emotion that I've been navigating this year. Um, and <clears throat> I think a lot about grief and gratitude as two sides of the same practice. Um, and so for me, gratitude is sort of a, a response to grief. Thank you, EMR. Um, Emily, any, you want to jump in there? Well, when I hear you say sort of that, um, the discomfort with grief for you, and I think for many of us, myself, certainly, um, the major energy that I felt from people this year is certainly not grief. It's this, um, frantic, this frantic posture, um, which I think is indicative of that discomfort that we're all feeling, whether that's discomfort with grief or discomfort with the unknown. Mm -hmm. And so much of my time is spent navigating other people's frantic mm -hmm. energy as well as my own um, through this time, through a time where we have to make so many decisions and so mm -hmm. many new decisions. And so that's what I'm sort of reflecting on is what happens when we make all these decisions, which we've been making this year, whether that's about, you know, huge economic decisions or the small decisions about whether or not it's safe to go somewhere. What happens when we make those decisions from a place of um, that frantic avoidance posture, which might come mm -hmm. from, you know, any of those things that you talked about. Yeah, and it, as you're speaking, I, you know, I think also about one of the um, emotional qualities of this year is fear, right? Being in the face of the unknown, the natural reaction is fear. Any animal, any, any human naturally would have a fear reaction. And, and I think fear is a very potent, has a very potent energetic quality, right? And emotions are contagious, you know, energy is contagious, you know, I think as you know over the years as a psychotherapist i've become more and more convinced that to some degree everybody is an emotionally sensitive person you know we have this idea of empaths are emotionally sensitive people and i certainly think there's degrees of sensitivity um and we all have this like sixth sense if you will you know um to varying degrees and i think that things really catch fire. And I think fear in the face of the unknown really caught fire this year, understandably. I don't think there could have been any other reasonable reaction for us to have had. So facing fear, 
fear and the unknown. Um, you know, we are a culture that really highly values and preaches right and wrong, mm -hmm. you know. And um, when you step into the field of the unknown, there's just no land, there's no map yet. There's no, um, no one has come before and said, this is, this is, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. And that framework is problematic and needs to be dismantled anyways, right? But what is the scaffolding that we have underneath that? Mm -hmm. I think what I'm, the, the thread I'm, I'm kind of catching here so far from you, EMR, is um, that sense of nature and nurture, that our emotions are what they are, and they're mm -hmm. ours and they're personal, and yet we're trying to come at them in a framework of culture mm -hmm. that, you know, every culture has its strengths and its weaknesses, but regardless of what your culture's strengths and weaknesses are, if your emotions are feeling in different from that, or they're, they're bumping up against what you believe, that can just be a whole other storm. And I find that interesting in general, but I find it interesting in a year where so much is being dismantled. Um, and so I don't quite know where I'm, I'm going with that, but it's it's just kind of what I'm sitting with right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that there's emotion, which appears to be a naturally occurring energy of some kind, you know, where it comes from and, you know, what triggers it is so spontaneous and really present, whatever, you know, the present moment sort of, um, congregation of experience is that's bringing the person to that moment <clears throat> and including their internal and external world right it's, it's in a lot of ways it's a mystery you know um and there's yes i think culture and also conditioning right and i think that conditioning happens on the cultural level it also happens on the community level it also happens on the family level right and it happens first in the family level. family is the first institution um and so I think that, you know, the way that we learn, there's, there's the experience of having emotions, and then there's the quality of how we treat ourselves when we have an emotion, right? And I think that the way we learn to treat ourselves when we're having emotions, especially difficult emotions like grief and fear, uh, but, it, you know, I had a, a sort of bonfire side conversation this summer with some friends about how, um, sort of childlike ecstasy or childlike joy on un like unfettered just full-on excitement like my child had when she saw the snow this morning if adults were to act like that at gatherings right like it would be as sort of shamed in a lot of ways as um you know the difficult emotions are right so intense emotion um you know, the way we learn how to treat ourselves when we are experiencing those emotions very often happens very early in our lives. Um, and it really is a safety survival issue, you know? And here we are facing safety and survival issues. And so we're going to use the strategies that we learn early on 
um, and that were reinforced in you know, the systems that we've interacted with since, to treat our emotions in such a way that helps us get along and belong with others. It's actually a very noble cause, you know, to really get along and belong. Um, and, you know, my question for like our culture is like, what scaffolding now are we going to build as we start to dismantle some of those strategies like repression, <clears throat> um, you know, how are we going to allow this opportunity, frankly, to help us learn how to treat ourselves and each other differently? I think it's, um, you know, what you're saying about how we learn, how we treat ourselves and how sort of generational the scale of shifting that can be um, is particularly complex in a time of such rapid change and such rapid um, peeling away or um, widening the chasm or seeing the truth or however, you know, the portal that the pandemic is, however we want to describe this moment. But as we, more of us become more aware of the present reality and the starkness of it, it becomes even more clear that the scaffolding that we have or the ways that we have of treating our emotions are not suited to this moment. But it takes a long time to build that new scaffolding for ourselves or to learn new ways of treating ourselves. Um, the scale, it's almost <clears throat> as if the sort of time frames and the time scales are misaligned mm -hmm. right now, where we mm -hmm. have, you know, evolution, which happens slowly, whereas progress um, happens very quick, feels to be happening mm -hmm. very quickly mm -hmm. right now. And one thing that's been really helpful for me through this time is to remember history, mm -hmm. is to remember that each of these moments is actually just part of a much larger history that you know, humanity has survived pandemics before and pandemics don't just take a year, they take many years. We have survived autocracies before, we have survived mm -hmm. genocide before. And all of those things are made up of small moments of people learning new ways of being together. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that there's history and there's the fact that it's happened before and then there's a widening lens. It's happening now all over the world, mm -hmm. right? And um, fear in the face of election outcome has been a political reality for many, many countries around the world, you know, for a long time, right? And so I think that to some degree, our American exceptionalism, and especially our white American exceptionalism is being challenged right now which is really a good thing because it's a deeply narrow lens and it's causing a lot of harm, you know? And it's gonna feel really hard to let it go, you know, as a, as a um, I almost said young white American. I think they still identify as a young white American. Here in Wendell um, County, you're young. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and a person committed to racial justice work and a person, you know, committed to understanding the mysteries of the mind and body um, and committed to intergenerational trauma healing and racial trauma healing, it's deeply physically uncomfortable for me to, you know, make the choice at times to step outside of my young white American exceptionalism lens, you know, and 
yet it's also really liberating and it's really um, connecting, you know, because this experience that we are going through, while it might be new or the first time for some of us, you know, generationally in this time and place, it is on no level new to the human experience, right? And that's, you know, I think what you were saying, Emily, I really deeply resonate with that. And I think when we realize that, we really realize it in our bodies, our ancestors went through these things, you know, um, <clears throat> that we actually access more resource. One thing I've been sitting with this year, and folks who watch this show have, have heard me say this, that um, outside of my journalism life, I also practice feng shui, um, which is a branch of Chinese medicine, actually. And it's about, you know, creating a, a harmonious environment. But as part of that, you know, this in Chinese astrology is year of the rat, which is the start of a brand new 12 year cycle. And one thing these cycles ask people in the big picture and the big kind of global energy of, of that year is, you know, what will and will not come with you into the next 12 years. Mm -hmm. And that has given me comfort in a way in this, this um, upheaval, because I, I expect that things are going to need to wither mm -hmm. that no longer serve us. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes part of our pain is caused by how hard we're trying to hold on to what's withering. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it also, I really appreciate what you said, Emily, about, about grief and gratitude because um that just because something needs to wither doesn't mean it we don't miss it but okay hold on hold in the thread um <laughs> <laughs> mind going um i think the other thing i'm i'm holding on to is as i'm watching some of the upheaval and and as you said new building new scaffolding part of me is also like well how much is is new in this time and how much is what we need to bring back into alignment? So like when you were when you were talking about American exceptionalism, um, you know, America as a culture or as a dream, as an experiment, you know, set forward some big goals, which I consider original intentions. Like they said all men, but all people are created equal. And this idea of freedom. And so I look at the parts of our culture that have not lived up to that mm -hmm. oppression, racism, genocide of, of um, indigenous people as being out of alignment with that intention and that goal. Mm -hmm. And so part of my gratitude for this year is the things that are bringing almost like, it's almost like a chiropractic adjustment, mm -hmm. bringing the spine okay. <laughs> of our culture back into you know, that original intention. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we could, it's um, maybe getting too, too philosophical, which maybe is not possible. So pretend I didn't say that, but <laughs> I mean, you could say, and I'm going to say that perhaps nothing is actually new, right? Mm -hmm. There's just, you know, more and more is revealed um, mm -hmm. and more of these things have been available to us, but perhaps not available to, um, 
you know, young white people or not available to Americans or not available to people living under, you know, last stage capitalism or whatever it is. Um, and so it's that we're sort of pulling away, clawing away, like growing from seeds, these things that feel new because they're new to us in this moment, in this generation, in this body. Um, but there are pieces of them, other places that can be familiar if we go looking for them. And I think that really helps with um, this challenge of feeling gratitude for something that's uncomfortable and difficult and hurts and um, is connected to grief and all of that. Mm -hmm. Like this idea that we should feel grateful for what we're leaving behind and bringing forth is really hard and really uncomfortable and fairly terrible. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, that dissonance between our desires and our discomfort, mm -hmm. I think is really at the heart of so, so much of what is d difficult politically and socially in this pandemic. Yeah, well, I think it's, I, oh, go ahead. Should we go to break? Uh, no, we still have five minutes. Oh my God. I'm sorry for not trusting you in your timer. <laughs> my, my fancy timer that actually shows me. The oh, timer. I forgot that you had the new timer. I can totally release myself from care, from worrying about the Excuse me. Okay. Olga's Forever not very more. good with time. Forevermore. I have the trust in the new timer. <laughs> Emily, you were going to say something. Um, yeah. I mean, so many threads there. I think that you know, it's possible to hold multiple realities at the same time. And I think that is something that we are really being challenged to grow in our capabilities of doing, you know, the degree of um, duality in the form of binary that this culture is committed to, is really grasped onto, um, is I think naturally sort of physically going to bring a polarity and going to bring conflict and tension, you know? Um, and when, you know, what I think of with what you were saying, Emily, is that the fear of letting go of some, of a grasp on something, you said that Olga, and I think that's, that's wonderful. I think about that and I practice that in my body a lot. And, um, and it's really scary because you don't know where you're gonna live. It's completely disorienting. We are oriented to life being a certain way in this culture. And for many of us, that might be just 10 years that we've been here, 20 years that we've been here, 30 years that we've been here, 40 years, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years we've been here. And, you know, some of us may, may have more access to, you know, intergenerational communication or, you know, are more interested in history and so know a little bit more about it than others. But we, it's, it's, it's important to also sort of honor the scale of your life and that this is the first time that you've maybe had to, you know, not be able to travel or that you've, you know, really been restricted in the way that, um, that we are or that you've feared, you know, um, death due to a virus, you know, like really this might be the first time. And, and a lot of that shows the advances that we have made as a um, in science and, you know, in being able to prolong life and protect ourselves from, from certain forms of death. And, um, 
as we are supporting ourselves or each other in those reactions to those parts of our truth, how do we help people access other sort of information, resources, perspectives to build something bigger than just this moment that we're in, you know, or just this lifetime that we're living, frankly. And um, it's learning, right? Like, and as a, you know, as a society, we're young and we have a lot to learn, you know? And I think one of the most important things about um, the movement for Black Lives and Black Lives Matter and um, movements to center and uplift the voices of Black, Brown, and Indigenous people and all people of color, queer and trans people, people otherwise marginalized, I think that we have somehow forgot that we have so much to learn from people who have, have been able to overcome so much resistance and so much genocide and so much um, loss and, and, and grief and oppression and harm. And can I jump yeah, in for a second there? So, you know, the, the language around resiliency has been a very popular one in sort of the place where politics and social work meet um, for the last say five years, um, money has been poured into resiliency, you know, and, but it's always been about individual resiliency. And what I hear you describing is that we have entire cultures and classes and groups of people with an experience of true, true resiliency, historic resiliency right. that we have right. so much to learn from. And when we, you know, when we conduct, say, trainings, especially in sort of social action groups, when we conduct trainings to learn a particular skill, we often talk about this, um, these sort of circles of learning, right? There's, um, I'm trying to make this conversation a little more tangible for a moment. We talk about, um, you know, there's like the red and the yellow and the green. And the green is where you're comfortable and you're not really learning. And the red is where you're in sort of fight, flight, freeze, and you can't learn either because you're freaking out. And the yellow is where the learning happens and it's uncomfortable. And if I think about this year for our community and for our culture, we have all just been like hanging out so hard in the yellow and it takes tremendous energy to like even hang out in the green because that's just not what the world is right now. And it takes tremendous energy to stay out of the red and to be moving, like constantly moving between the red and the yellow. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, now that the timer has has ticked its its last tick for this section, we need to go to break and hear from some of our underwriters. But the Montpelier Happy Hour with Emily Kornheiser and Emily Magus Russell on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro will return.
Peel your happy hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can also find us on Brattleboro Community Television, BCTV, as well as Emily Kornheiser's YouTube channel. I'm your host, Olga Peters, and you, you are just joining us. We, I am speaking today with regular contributor Emily Kornheiser, as well as therapist, mom, dancer, and activist, Emily Magus Russell, thank you for being with us today, both of you. Thank you. Let's, you know, Emily Kornheiser, you were talking so beautifully about resistance, uh, resilience, excuse me, before the break. And I want to shift, however, to the upcoming elections that are happening next week and many of the emotions that people are experiencing around them. Um, I was talking with friends last night over dinner, and I thought they summed it up so well. They said, you know, everyone's making their predictions. Everybody has their hopes. And yet after 2016, where so many people were just absolutely amazed at the outcome, positive or negative, amazed, um, that a lot of people just are not trusting their instincts about how, you know, Tuesday can play out. So I want to throw that to you, Emily Magus-Russell, as well as Emily Kornheiser, and just kind of touch base. Again, we're in that uncertainty zone. Yeah. Yeah, this is a tough one. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think that what I have been thinking a lot about and talking with folks about is the quality of our nervous system right now um, as individuals and as a collective, right? And so we spent the first half of this call conversation talking about like the unknowns related to the pandemic and we're going into another wave, right? Of of increased uh, pandemic of COVID rates. And and at that same time, we're we're dealing with um, a really frightening election season and um, and a, a, a Supreme Court confirmation that a lot of people have a lot of feelings about. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's sort of like the, Emily, you were talking about the sort of frantic energy that you've been experiencing from others at this time. And myself, there's, I don't want to actually- And yourself, yeah, people. totally, <laughs> totally. And there's like this kind of uptick Um, And I just, you know, I think a lot about our nervous systems and the adrenaline and the like sympathetic nervous system response that people's bodies are in right now, you know, Um, if, if we were at risk of, you know, if, if it was a predator that we were concerned about, right, if there was a saber toothed tiger running after us, yes, your, your sympathetic nervous system stays active for a, a pretty long time until you're able to outrun or hide from or somehow find safety from that tiger. And then when the threat of that, um, that tiger goes away, your parasympathetic nervous system pops in and make sure that you get rest and that you eat and that you refuel and that you recover from the uh, prolonged state. I don't know that we're getting really much recovery from these threats. And um, and so, you know, it is really, it continues to be this 
facing of the unknown that for me brings up, okay, there's questions about the outcome, like what's going to happen. Um, and we are very sort of heady culture. We like to really talk, 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 talk about what that is or is going to be. And how are our bodies feeling? I mean, we have to create our own opportunities for parasympathetic nervous system response. And it's hard to do, and it's really hard, harder for some people than others for a variety of reasons. And some of us have more privilege to be able to create that. The fact that I have a house to live in makes it infinitely more possible for me to regulate my nervous system than somebody who doesn't have a house to live in, you know? So there's so many factors um, here. And yeah, I think all the dialogue, all the news, all of the information gathering, I can understand why that's really important to many people. And I just really hope that people are also finding ways to take care of their bodies and, and be in the present moment with their bodies and their families and themselves, even during the midst of this like high, super heightened state. And there's gonna, you know, it, we're gonna be for weeks folks have been in this state around the election, it's not gonna let down until, you know, well, like days after the actual election. So just remember your, likely your body is in some kind of fight, flight, freeze state for some time now. I keep on um, telling, saying to people that I can't wait for next Friday. Mm -hmm. And everyone's like, what do you mean? Don't you mean next Wednesday? I'm like, no, no, no. I want next Friday because yeah. I know that the days between Tuesday and Friday are going to be filled with both a need for rest and like franticness about what's going to come next. But I know by next Friday, at least we'll be in a new phase of something and I'll be able to feel that in my body. When what you said about sort of the information gathering and the constant information gathering and Olga, what you said about not being able, people having the sense that they can't trust in their instincts around the election. I think it's so, one of the challenges with sort of our nervous systems and living in modernity is how vast the amount of information is. And given the state of, you know, private sector ownership of media um, and corporate ownership of media, it's so hard to remember that we really only know ourselves and barely our own social circles. And so the bubbles that we each live in, you know, socially, even within our community, let alone within our town or our state or how Vermont actually fits into the rest of the country is essentially, you know, mostly impenetrable without enormous amounts of effort. And so I'm constantly struck by how real each of our experiences are about what truth is, what's right, you know, in this very dichotomous right and wrong, what's right for this country, what people need next, what people other than ourselves need for things to go well. And people make you know, all of that stuff gets wrapped up into the kinds of election decisions we make, one. Um, people generally vote just straight from their nervous system, even though we all pretend we don't. You need to like your candidate, right? That's the most important thing for people, even though that has very little to do with the way that person's going to govern. Um, 
And then there's the third piece that I think is really hard for us to get our heads around. There's so much cognitive dissonance with the story that we have of democracy for white people, with the story we have of democracy and how it works. And then the really rampant and intense voter suppression that happens all over this country and how disenfranchised, and even without voter suppression, how disenfranchised so many voters are. And so we're not actually talking about how the entire country votes. We're talking about how a fairly small segment of the country votes and a privileged segment of that country. And so like trying to get all those three things into like the truth box of our minds and know what's gonna happen is not possible. Like computer simulations can't do it. I don't know why we would think that somehow if we watch the news enough and like doom scroll through Twitter enough, we'll be able to find the truth. It's not, it's again, we have to actually just sit in the unknown. Yeah. And that's impossible. And, you know, I think, I know this is a bit controversial to say, but I think on, a, on one level, you know, national politics for me is a sort of shared illusion. And also it has very serious consequences, very real consequences, right? Just like the concept of race is a construct that was created for a very specific purpose of, um, gaining land and protecting and gaining land and resources for white wealthy people and to take attention away from class, um, class divide. And it has had very real consequences on people's lives. And so there again is stepping outside of that duality and recognizing how do I relate to this thing that has very real impact on people's lives. And also I can't quite grasp it because on some level it's not really quite real you know or if it, to the degree to which it's real I have very limited access to it right um and I think it's really difficult for a nervous system then to attune to where there's where you know what makes sense or what truth is when it doesn't it's not quite true that it's not real right? It's clearly I'm seeing something and I'm going to go vote or form and choose not to vote or I'm not even going to be able to vote. Um, and then there's going to be some new actions that are going to impact a lot of people and some people more than others. Yet it's not, you know, it's also not super true that my vote matters, you know, like it's not super true. I can't quite, you know, so I, I think one of the things that I want for folks is, is that we are unburdening. You talked a little bit about guilt, Olga, um, offline when we were chatting a bit. Um, and guilt is an overtaking of responsibility. It's a, it's a stuck energy. It's a stuck energy in our body where we can't, maybe can't face our reality because it's too overwhelming, right? Or we're actually so deeply sensitive to our reality that we are over consumed by it and taking too much responsibility for it. And what I want for folks is to unburden from the overtaking of personal responsibility for these things that are vast and have a huge legacy, a huge history. And we are one speck of dust and on a speck of dust, on, in a speck of dust, you know, in that, in that lens. But we have to unburden from that crushing sense of personal responsibility so that we can actually free unfreeze our nervous system and engage. 
in the I world. When we think about, so there's doing, there's that incredible unburdening so we can engage. And I think when we exist in sort of the usual colonialist duality, um, we say, okay, so I have no control. There's nothing I can do. Whereas mm -hmm. I think the option that's available to us, if we can find our way to it, is something that um, Adrienne Marie Brown describes in Emergent Strategies. It's something that Rebecca Solnit talks a lot about um, in the Hope, Hope in the Dark. Is that the name of the book? Ooh. I think. I think that's the name of the book. Right. Rebecca Solnit talks a lot about is the idea that just because we can't see the entire whole or the future or create, you know, the most comprehensive strategic plan doesn't mean that our motions today don't mm -hmm. create the, the next wave from our moment. Right. And so we do what we can towards shaping that future. It doesn't mean we're powerless towards right. the future. It means we can't control the future. And those are two very different things, right. being powerless and being unable to control and being able to sit between those two things and say, I can't control the election, but I will help encourage people to vote. I will write postcards. I will talk to my neighbor. I will right. go to the ballot box. I will make sure that even if the leader that I want on the ballot today isn't there, I'm gonna spend my time focusing on making sure that the leaders of tomorrow have the resources mm -hmm. that they need to show up. And so being again, a place where we need to be able to sit outside of the duality and say, we can't control, we're releasing ourselves from that control and that guilt that paralyzes us so, and instead sort of stepping into the emergence of I'm going to do what I can today mm -hmm. towards that future that will come tomorrow. And you know, Stepping, re, cognitive reframing, which is a strategy where you, frankly, change your mind. <laughs> you, you, you know, identify your, the way you're thinking and you intentionally think differently. You take on a different perspective and sort of do the, um, the sort of mental gymnastics or the, the stretching, the legwork that it takes to, to sort of shift your perspective, right? Um, it's, it's, it's critical, it's very, it's very important, it's very helpful. And it's still a cognitive, heady process, right? Like if we want, if we want to deal with our guilt, we have to go into the body. The emotions and energy live in the body, right? The mind, it's a lot of effort and some, it has with some minimal positive impact, the mind can shift some of that but we have to engage the body, you know? And guilt is a freeze response that underneath it is all the emotion, grief. Grief about what this whole world, you know, you know, the guilt of white privilege paralyzes white folks from being able to tolerate and endure the work of dismantling white supremacy, right? I mean, I get through, I don't get through one day, not one day without facing my white supremacy. It's everywhere. It's the water I swim in, it's the air I breathe, right? It's, I'm now in the practice of saying things and I'm saying, I'm not, I'm gonna try not to say that again, <laughs> you know, as I'm saying it. I mean, it's the, our language is deeply infused with it. Our thoughts are deeply infused with it, the way we treat our bodies and our emotions are deeply infused with it, the way we treat each other. And so 
that takes a lot of endurance, right? To, to take a breath, to pause and say, I'm going to try that differently, right? Um, and so I think the, the work of unfreezing that guilt and that shame is really body-based work. And I think activating the breath and activating the body and activating what the body can do, right? Everybody can do something, right? Um, and everybody is a good body. And having a relationship with your body that is one of gratitude, right? That in itself takes a lifetime for many people because we've really done a number on this concept, right? And so I know, you know, we're talking about elections. We like to talk about it. We like to get heady about it. Um, I think when we're noticing the paralysis in our body, sometimes the mind likes to take over. That's fine. And what are some strategies that folks can use to pause, you know, pause the dinner table conversation, pause the news article reading, you know, pause and really take a deep breath and recognize that the only real option you have, you're saying power, like the only way for someone not to feel powerless is for someone to feel their own power, right? <laughs> and that has been blocked and, and taken from people for a long time, um, especially people of color, especially queer folks um, and trans folks, especially women, right? Um, and so how do we sort of take a moment in this larger moment to really like reconnect with ourselves and our sense of power. And I think a lot of it has to do with permission. When there's so much attention on the external world, when there's so much that's demanding our attention, where are we sourcing permission from? Where are we sourcing the permission to take a breath, to set a boundary with yourself, right? To say, I'm not gonna look at my phone again tonight because I'm gonna focus on X, Y, Z. Or, you know, can we shift the conversation? I'm noticing that I'm getting really um, frozen, you know. How do we take breaks now, the day of the election, the day after the, you know, our minds can really convince us that we're not worthy of that. And that's part of our conditioning. But um, how do we sort of dismantle that and show up for our bodies in that way? Um, EMR, if, if you don't mind, um, I realize I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, I think what you just said about taking that pause is so crucial because that pause is actually a transition point mm -hmm. or a threshold. And if you can step over the threshold, you can inch by inch step into new worlds. Right. Um, so do you have a practice or a short breathing exercise mm -hmm. that people can actually do to, to hit that pause and mm -hmm. yeah, give it some substance? Sure, yeah, I have a couple of thoughts. One I want, or practices really. Um, <clears throat> one is a grounding practice and one is a grief and gratitude practice. So maybe what I can do is um, we can do them together. Maybe the three of us can do them right now and listeners can do them as well. And I'll do each, each one for 30 seconds. So it won't take very long. I'm good with that, are you, Emily? I'm so excited, thank you. Let's go. So the first practice um, is really about grounding. So what we can do is take a moment to shift your position in your body so that you're in a little bit more deeper contact with yourself. We tend to live from the outside of ourselves. When our nervous systems are activated, we really, there's a real forward movement to it. 
to reconnect inside of yourself. And <laughs> reconnect inside of yourself and you can close your eyes or keep them open for this. We're just gonna touch something. So if you're sitting at a desk, you can touch the desk. If you're sitting on a chair or couch, you can touch that chair or couch. If you're driving, you can touch the steering wheel and also make sure you're staying tending to the road. And find your breath and feel the object that you're touching at the same time. And see if, even if just for a moment, your full attention can be there. And it's not split between the breath and the object. It's really attuning to both at the same time. And see if you can let your body settle into your hand's connection to the object that you're touching. As if you're living there or sitting there at that connection between your hand and the desk, the object bringing yourself down into that connection. And that's a nice practice that you can do anywhere, anytime. Whether you're talking to someone or not, you can do it. It's not too socially awkward. And then the next practice that I wanna offer is a breath practice. And Go ahead and just find a nice steady, even breath, equal inhale and exhale. And on the inhale, allow yourself to feel the grief of this moment. There might be a brief pause between the inhale and exhale, you can hold that grief. And on the exhale, release it as gratitude. On the inhale, breathe in the grief of this moment and every moment that has happened before now. Hold in reverence for just a moment and then release your breath in gratitude for this moment and every moment that's to come. And again, inhale, see if you can breathe that inhale into the heart. This is the work of awakening and strengthening the heart. So inhale, breathe in that grief. Grief work expands the heart. And exhale to release it. It's gratitude. So when you find your nervous system frozen, when you find yourself in guilt or paralyzed with your privilege, then uh, this can be a nice practice to get things moving again. EMR, thank you for that. Thank you. You're and welcome. I so appreciate how tactile both those mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, practices can be because we can get very heady and geeky mm -hmm. on this show even. Um, thank Me you. too. <laughs> Um, we have just under five minutes left, so I just want to touch base and see if either of you want to leave listeners with any thoughts before we, we wrap up. Uh, my, if, 
my final thought that I really do want to say is I do think one of the opportunities of this time is to make better friends with yourself. It's a time of isolation. It's a time of quietness, it's a time of unknown. And so you have your feelings and then just notice how I'm really working on noticing how I treat myself with these feelings. And when my external relationships are in a little bit more pause than usual because of the pandemic, there's a myriad of selves that I have access to that I can focus on um, relationship building. Thank you. Emily, <laughs> Emily Kornheiser, any last minute thoughts? Um, or feelings? I think my feeling right now, which is half a feeling and half a thought, is that whatever happens on Tuesday, we're all still going to be here together. Um, and we need to remember that and remember that we have each other. Um, we have ourselves as resources and we have each other as resources. Whether that means that we're still in the unknown, which we always will be, or whether that means that, you know, we have whatever president we have next, we're going to need to push back. Um, it'll just take a different form. And so I'm glad that we have each other through that. Thank you. I am Thank going, you. my last uh, suggestion is coming straight from my journalist life. As much as I am a journalist and I love journalism and feel it's very necessary in this time, I want, I am not a fan of the 24 hour news cycle. Um, I feel that you should read your news and then process it before you take into new information. Mm -hmm. So give yourself permission not to be in the know every single minute of the day mm -hmm. and give yourself permission to process that information and feel it and respond to it before you take in new information. Mm. As we head out, Emily, do you have a toast for our listeners? I would like to toast to Emily Megas Russell and her very <laughs> happy birthday and with gratitude for you spending this time on your birthday morning with us. Thank you. Here, here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the, Thank you all for having me so much. Yes. I hope, um, I hope you can come back at some point too. Yeah. This is really wonderful. Great. The Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. You can catch us at 2 p.m. on Friday on the radio. You can also catch us at BCTV and Emily's YouTube channel. Emily, if people need to find you, where they, can they reach out? Folks can find me on emilykornheiser.org, where you have access to my Facebook, my Twitter, my Instagram, my email address, my phone number, my physical address, but please don't come without calling first. And every Saturday morning, I host a community coffee hour conversation via Zoom that you can find the login information for on any of those other platforms I listed. Fantastic. Emily Magus Russell, your website quickly? Uh, wgreatheart.com. Fantastic. Everyone have a good weekend. We will Thanks. catch you next week. Thank you. Yeah.